0: You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock, your host today, and we have a really special guest uh to talk to us today about gaps in care. And we'll talk about exactly what that is and some things Uh, that she thinks we could be doing to improve those gaps in care. Her name is Vanessa Guzman. She is an expert in population health strategies, including patient and physician engagement strategies, clinical reporting, health IT, and quality management models. She is the CEO at Smart Rise Health, and she has 15 years of industry experience uh, and like we said, most of it there in population health strategies and patient and physician engagement. Uh, Vanessa, I imagine you go where they are, correct? That's that probably right. the best way of putting it.
1: That, that is right. Meeting people, including patients and doctors where they're at. So thanks for having me today.
0: Oh, we're glad to have you. So let's get started with what I alluded to in your introduction, Vanessa, and that is define what gaps in care are uh, to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gaps in care uh, goes beyond your traditional definition of uh, meeting a target or a clinical um, guideline. Uh, For me and for for patients as, as a whole, is about a patient's ability to access care, to prioritize their health, to understand the importance of seeking care and where to get that care uh, in order to stay healthy. Uh, so it becomes all of our roles, right? Any any healthcare stakeholders uh, role to really hone in on any opportunity, any touch point that we have to engage patients in a meaningful way that, that really looks at it as as a whole person um, beyond just a patient seeking care from a health system or a a provider.
0: So I I imagine the gaps in care are an individual thing very often in the sense that this is the issue someone may have or think that they may have that they can't get care or maybe separating them from care. And they think it's an individual thing, but it's actually the full population facing some sort of gap. And that's what we're working here, right? To identify these things.
1: That, that's correct. And uh, off, more often than not, uh, believe it or not, uh, patients and people may not even notice sometimes when they're uh, in being, being identified as having a gap in care. They might not understand what that gap is. Um, generally, the, the healthier population is well-versed with preventive health, your traditional immunizations, your vaccines, but when it comes to the, the clinical rationale as to why it's important to them and what actions they need to take to make sure that they stay healthy, that's, that's a bigger question. Uh, so I think, again, it becomes more of understanding what, what really triggers and motivates people uh, so that we can better engage them in both preventive health and, and chronic condition management at, at a whole.
0: We should mention that uh, Vanessa uh, writes for the digital measurement community. She writes blogs for us. And so she's in touch with NCQA. She has a relationship with NCQA and uh, of course knows that we're involved in this uh, work. And we're concerned, of course, if we're concerned about quality, we're absolutely concerned about gaps in care and patients uh, and procedures falling through the cracks or, or not even just procedures, folks' needs. What role then, when you look from a population health and from your work perspective, what role do preventative health, behavioral health, and then, of course, the, the hot button word right now, for a reason, social determinants of health, what do all of those play when you're considering population? How do they all play in gaps of care?
1: Yeah, so they all roll up into helping us identify how to meet the patient where they're at, right? So when we're talking about patients that perhaps have mental illness or some form of behavioral health disorder, we're talking about the risk associated with, on the medical side of the house, with that patient. Uh, it's also understanding that if, you know, the likelihood of someone who has food access, uh, you know, issues what does that mean from, from a, them obtaining, let's say their immunization, right? So it's understanding the barriers that come when people have specific circumstances in their life. And that's really what I mean when we're talking about whole, a whole person model of care, we're taking into consideration that uh, the patient at the beginning of the day is a person just like any one of us who has their different set of priorities that could potentially prioritize their, their first meal of the day versus their, you know, their insulin and is, is understanding that that same person may have four children, um, unattended single mom who is struggling to manage her work and, and also, you know, do maybe remote learning with their, with her children. Um, and how that plays in and how she or he or them prioritize health in the midst of of that lifestyle. So when we're talking about social determinants of health, when we're talking about behavioral health and preventive care is really having a unified stitched vision so that we can provide the necessary services and a better form of access point so that the patients can then prioritize their health and then better understand how to access that care.
0: So then I guess my follow-up as a layman in your work, um, <laughs> not an expert, <laughs> but as a layman in your work, um, it, it seems sort of to me that it, uh, population health is sort of counterintuitive when you think about it to individual health, but they are so, and, and individual characteristics that, uh, that uh, cut access. Right. Um, right. So it, it seems counterintuitive. And I'm always amazed at folks like you who do this population health work, how you sort of um, sort of fit everybody into the population. It, it, it is my um, perspective common from lay folks? They don't really understand the importance <laughs> of this or even uh, clinicians. Uh,
1: I, I think so. I think it's very common. I, you know, This is why we have the fancier tools out there that helps us risk stratify and profile the population and filter so that we can really drill down to the point where we can identify the type of support, the type of needs that a specific population has. I mean, two diabetic patients may have the same exact clinical profile, But in reality, what's going to have them adhere to that medication or prevent that next ED visit is life circumstances, is beyond just the clinical piece of it, right? Um, Mm. So for those of us who are in the business of policy or data management or quality improvement, it's about finding opportunities at each touch point, whether that is through relationships, right? So beyond just the provider, we have community-based organizations, We have payers that want to be more involved. We have entities like NCQA who are willing to, you know, place information out there for us to learn. So it's leveraging those relationships, stitching the data in a way that helps us really follow through with the patient and what their needs are and what will make them act so that they can prioritize your health in a meaningful way that yields the outcomes that we want overall.
0: When we uh, talk about fancy tools, and I'm sure there are a lot of folks who wish they had... (laughs) More fancy tools, but one big one and uh, and of interest to the digital measurement community is, of course, data and data can help in this battle. And I think that it probably um, sometimes, again, another thing where well, how do you make that work? How do you connect those two? And so how can we use data in this effort?
1: Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. So. Data should be more, um, data should be used as a back end tool. It's not necessarily a patient or person facing um, element, right? At the end of the day, patients are seeking a good experience. They're seeking the care that they perceive they need, and they trust that their provider um, will deliver. So, from a health system provider or other organization, Using data could be profiling, as I mentioned earlier, it could be monitoring performance and gaps in care closure so that we can make ourselves accountable for delivering the care that the patient needs. Uh, it also helps us really target our initiative. So we all want to do gooder uh, mm-hmm. in this gooder. environment, right? Uh-huh. But then we often step on each other's toes. So data helps us coordinate care for the patient it also helps us automate certain functions. So in this fancy world of technology, it enables and targets things like telemedicine or uh, remote patient monitoring. Uh, and there's a ton of applications now that we're able to leverage to do patient outreach, which we didn't have maybe t- 10, five, or even a year ago in, in many instances. So data for me, it, where, where the value sits is, is lessened, Looking at a report or a dashboard, which is what traditionally is is done with data, and more about how do we take it into action. So, for any data element that we have, is how do we convert that to something that's actionable, that's seamless and patient centered, so that then they can easily, mindlessly, really take priority of their of their health.
0: Yeah, excuse my hillbilly expression of this. If you ain't gonna measure it, you ain't gonna know how it is. That's I how. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So that's,
0: that's the hillbilly version of the you know NCQA credo. But it seems yes. to me that this data, and I think this is is what you just said in your last answer, in some ways that it is a start. It is not absolutely. necessarily the finish,
1: but not a good start. It's an excellent start. Uh, not only as you said, it it the it provides us with the baseline. Because when you have the baseline, you now can establish you position yourself to establish goals, right? How can you know where you want to go if you don't establish specific goals? So it it, it has that conduit and it has that power behind it. But what it does best is, is it enables, it informs. And I think everything always, as we know, starts with awareness. Um, there's power with awareness, and once you're able to leverage. And use the data in a way that automates specific structures, um, so that again it becomes mindless, and providers, clinicians, healthcare workers can focus on what conceptually is unique to them. Then we're gold.
0: You know, if if COVID brought us anything, it is sort of an up take right in the use of technology and the use of data and the use of all these digital tools. And this is across the board, not just in healthcare. I mean, yeah. uh, you and I are having this con- conversation via Zoom, right? Yeah. So we really didn't do that so much six months ago. We'd have you in the studio, you'd sit down, it'd be a nice thing. This is the same thing with healthcare.
1: right?
0: And um, so I, I wonder, and it, this sort of breakneck speed that we have progressed through in the last six months. What role do you think technology will take uh, in the coming months and years uh, that will play in improving this, this gaps in care issue and improve population health outcomes?
1: I think it will help us scale, Um, you know, coming from servicing my clients and also in supporting pop health for so many years, I've learned that because we, most of us in healthcare have like that servant's heart, Um, we we have these excellent programs, but they're so niche that we're unable to sometimes offer them to the wider population. So technology plays a key role in, in our ability to scale solutions, monitor data, monitor performance, actually understand like what actually worked, right? That, like, That's what technology helps us do because it helps us pinpoint instances in time when there was an action taken as a result of something else, right? Um, so it's, it'll help us quantify, it'll help us scale, it'll help us automate in areas in, in ways that perhaps adds additional value to the human piece that we are able to offer, right? So that we are not necessarily, when we're doing a, let's say a patient outreach campaign, that we're not sitting on the phone calling patient one by one, instead we can have technology do that and then we could sit, let's say I'm a nurse and I'm able to actually follow up with that patient for, for, for those that really need it, right? Um, and that need that, that additional uh, tier of support. So it really helps us validate the notion of um, letting the machines do the, the reiterative work and using our human resources for conceptual things that are very unique um, to, to our world.
0: Again, a layman, but isn't there a role for AI, for artificial intelligence in reducing burden because we earlier talked about physician engagement. There's a role in this technology in sort of reducing the load in collecting this data um, for clinicians that allows them to do, as you said, be servants more than record keepers.
1: Absolutely. Um, We've seen it, AI play a role in many of the larger, especially the larger EHR systems where decision support tools really are playing a huge role in in really uh, adapting structured interventions for providers, right? So that, again, we are uh, really working towards what the data is showing works for us, right? Um, so as much as I love when, when I say, you know, we, we want to retain as much as, as providers' autonomy, right, to what we learn and believe and are and, and, and trained on, but at the end of the day, if we want consistent outcomes, there also have to be consistent interventions to some extent, right, without dehumanizing, right, the beauty of human knowledge. So I think that that's key. You know, so I think AI is just supplemental.
0: Yeah, so you can't just get uh, get there by setting up a system and tracking it, and even sort of doing the things you you know you know you need to do, and sort of asking right. folks, did they quit smoking? Asking them if they're taking their totally their blood pressure medicine. Those sort of things, we sort of make people do that as part of standards, right? But you have to add in the humanity. You have to add in, well, why are you still smoking? I thought we sent you to, you know, a program and we signed you up. What has you doing this? Why are you not taking your lisinopril for uh, blood pressure? Are you having trouble getting it? And so I guess, um, you know, I had a, a prepared question about how we can address health equity and social determinants. Uh, to close gaps in care. But I suppose it's true of all pa- all pa- patients and all members who, they all have their individual thing, right? So Absolutely. you've got to keep the humanity.
1: You've got to keep the humanity. I would say, in my opinion, relationships is probably the strongest intervention of all. Mm-hmm. Um, when you gain trust as a clinician, a provider, a patient, there is magic that flows. Um, there is a conduit adherence there is you create empowerment because now patients see beyond what just how we started this conversation defining a gap i'm missing my vaccine great but why is that important what does this mean in the midst of what's going on even right now with the pandemic right so by empowering our patients now you're you're essentially working towards scaling but also sustaining this process versus on a case-by-case basis, it's close a gap, and then, then the same gap reoccurs again and again. So I, I think that relationship, that humanistic piece of it, really is what's going to make this a long-term gap closure.
0: You know, I have a specialist who is uh, still using paper.
1: That happens. Uh,
0: paper records, <laughs> refuses to do the digital thing, and yep. and is very close to retirement, or he, he is the owner of the practices, so he's not really interested in yep. um, um, making the investment. And I think he would probably still tell you, well, that's what we do. We do humanity, right? We ask Absolutely. each patient. But the data collection is a big hole in your In your uh, arsenal, right? It's a big empty spot in your arsenal if you're not using it.
1: Absolutely, if you know the data is as impactful uh, as basically its use case is Mm. essentially what we're saying. So, the collection of it for providers who are not yet on an EHR, um, you know, there there is a gap essentially in our ability to spread what they do best, right? So that provider, that specialist that you're referring to. I'm sure it does provide great care, right? Right, But at the end of the day, how do we replicate that, right? How do we learn from his teachings um, if we don't have that data? So uh, I think that's of of significance um, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it will help inform future generations, right? I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, behavior change occurring at the moment, and the external demands are crazy, as you know, so um, I think the value of data really Uh, again, lies on the use case. And the more we hone in on it, uh, I think the the greater the the impact.
0: From a business uh, case, it seems to me that using these tools would would help your bottom line as well, beyond just the uh the knowledge of knowing. I mean, we know most people, honestly, most physicians, clinicians, most of them there want the best thing for their patients. Absolutely. Right? So,
1: Absolutely. Um
0: this is a way of sort of uh for lack of a better word, habitualizing um uh, best practices.
1: Absolutely. And,
0: and best tracking to add to that humanity, so you're really just adding value added to your business, your practice, and your patients.
1: Absolutely, and many of the quality programs that exist today, whether they're CMS or commercial payers, uh, Medicaid, um, you know, it it by by collecting data, reporting this data not only does it enhance care coordination across, right, because we live in such a mobile world these days, patient travel, they have choices, they have preferences. So care coordination is impacted by our ability to share that information, Uh, not to mention that these programs are designed to potentially create a a fund flow for that same practice to bring back efficiency, uh, innovation, and who doesn't like another dollar, right? So um, when, when you check many of these boxes, you know, my, my, my take is go the extra level, right? Be that human, that be that excellent doctor, uh, because these programs go just beyond just meeting specific program requirements is about how do you take it? How do you use your, those funds to really empower and enable the patient?
0: we want to be accountable to our population but we have to understand that uh it's sometimes beyond the box checking right the box checking is the start
1: the the box checking is is what i always think as these are the minimum requirements Mm -hmm. so that i could fund the cool really cool stuff that i want to do right and then there's like the rest of it which is like the 90 percent right beyond the the checking of the boxes so when we're thinking whether is heat is reporting or monitoring our data, um, it just creates efficiency because it, it just sheds light in terms of where we need to be and where we're at. And it just opens up a box of creativity.
0: So let's talk about my specialist again, because after all, it's all about me. Oh, um, okay, <laughs> well, Actually, it's all about him. But um, he let's say he has seen the error of his ways and he's 15 years younger and he wants to set up Uh, you know, a program within his practice to address these uh, gaps in care and, and frankly, uh, patient adherence uh, to what they need to do. Uh, What do you think are the most uh, important elements for him to consider?
1: So that's a great question. So there is there is strong change management tools and then weaker change management tools. And um, the, the, the the medium to high structured uh, change management tools are always more effective. And examples of that include adjustments, let's say on the EHR. In this case, it would be an adjustment in a workflow, right, if, if the doctor is on paper. Mm. Um, training is considered a weak uh, intervention If it's alone, but when it's accompanied by another structured intervention, then it's really important because it raises uh, the care team's awareness as of why this is important. And that's why everyone is then motivated to be part of that change, right? So my suggestion is start with structured interventions, meaning the ones that are like mindless, like standing orders, uh, multi-channel communications, like patient outreach that just by default, if there's a mammogram missing that an automated letter or an email goes out, uses the patient portal. So those are more structured interventions followed by training, maybe policy changes to make sure that, that everyone is on the same page as it relates to closing gaps in care.
0: It, it seems to me uh, that uh, NCQA can set uh, some parameters sort of for you to shoot for in terms of standards. That's what we do, right? That's so, what we do that can help with that. What do you think, and we're going to, we're going to close with, with this, I think, what do you think then for this doctor or another one? What do you think in setting up these programs is the biggest challenge? And what is the biggest bullet to knock down that challenge?
1: It's, it's behavior. Uh, Behavior change is always the biggest challenge, right? We're creatures of habit. Um, and the one thing that I would say sheds light to that is seeing the value. When you see the value um, of any process, whether it's data collection, whether it's reporting, whether it's addressing social determinants of health, however that, whatever that means to the practice, is understanding its value. Once you understand its value, um, it becomes more like, that makes sense. I will go ahead. Right. So, what we've done over the years um, is, you know, through quality programs and policies, um, it has basically set a framework where we can all really build what what's most important to us. Um, so, my biggest suggestion is build a standard of care that takes all these frameworks in NCQA, CMS, other, but really make it something that. That shows and demonstrates the value, the core values of the provider, the care team, and and for the patient.
0: So I lied, first of all, because I told you that <laughs> was going to be the last question. But I, uh, uh, I, I think I want to sum it sum it up because while we talked about the other things and working beyond the data, the data is super important and it is an integral, pivotal part of. The solution, um, not only locally, right, uh, but overall. And so, if a um, practice takes up really uh, tackling population health and beyond,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it helps the nation as a whole in some ways, right?
1: It does. Absolutely. Tell me how. Uh, there, there are healthcare. I mean, if you look at our GDP, just pure percentage we still stick out as the costliest of countries, right? (laughs) Yes, Uh, huge, right? Uh Prescriptions, efficiencies, a lot of it, a good percentage of that is still tied to administrative cost, right? It's not Mm -hmm. actually care necessarily, and it's not actually social services, right? So when you think of the bigger picture and when you think of the value of data, there is power in understanding that that's still a problem, number one. Well, number two is, how do we embed these, these values into our systems, whether it is through education, whether there's through our workflows and process or what we report. But remember, when we when we see the problem as a whole, then we can tackle the issue as a whole. Um, and there's certainly power in the numbers. So I think um, that's probably my biggest take on, on the value here of, of data, because it really enables us to see but also demonstrate the, the changes that need to occur.
0: That whole accountability and then measurement to improve. We love exactly. that stuff at Insight. We
1: love that. <laughs> I mean, improvement rates are, you know, it makes me really happy. Um, and we do have, we do have the, the tools and uh, the necessary um, framework to, to seek that improvement, as long as we use data to inform and assess our programs and evaluate what's working, what's not working, and making and making sure that it's still patient-centered, that it doesn't have alternate um, uh, rationale behind it, but it really keeps an eye on the triple aim.
0: It's all about making it better. Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa Guzman, thank you so much for joining us for Inside Healthcare. What a great interview. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. your time, and I appreciate the information. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All righty. And thank you for being here and listening. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt.